0: Take a deep breath as we focus on our great God and speak to Him. Lord Jesus, the words that you have said, which have been recorded in our passage tonight, are so impactful, so powerful to show us who we are, to show us what your kingdom is like, what being a follower of you, Lord Jesus, is like. And we want to be changed by what your word says. And so, Holy Spirit of God, we pray, regardless of the person speaking at the front, we pray that you would speak to your people and that you would speak to those who are not yet your people. Thank you that we can entrust everything that is good and perfect to you. You are the source of all goodness. And you have inspired this word for us this evening. Speak to us now, Holy Spirit of God, in Jesus name. Amen. So we've been in this journey, we've taken a little uh, break, and we talked about godliness um, last week. and this evening we come back to the Gospel of Luke to do our next section. Now I've lumped together a massive passage, which is a challenge. And I have to say, when you read the passage that we've read this evening, and you read it carefully and you read it prayerfully, you're going to feel a whole mix of emotions. I did as I was preparing it, and I hope that you will as well as God speaks to you through his word. Now, Jesus has been showing us what he's about, what his mission is about, and we talked about how in his kingdom, when he heals a person who is demon-possessed, we see that he has power over the spiritual world, the spiritual powers of darkness. When he uh, enables someone to walk or to see, we see that in his kingdom to come, no one needs to be afraid of lacking anything in their body or elsewhere because they have everything they need with King Jesus. And those are all little kind of bits of foreshadowing of what it's going to be like if you trust in him. Just like that in our passage, if you glance at it now, particularly in the Beatitudes, you're going to see that there is an element of right here, right now. There is also a danger of right here, right now. And there's a big not yet. Look forward to this. It's not right now. Can you see that? Look at it, for example, from verses 20 onwards. You've got people who are poor right now, who hunger right now, who weep right now, who are hated right now, but who also should rejoice. And in verse 24, There are some people who are rich, but you know what? If they are rich right now, they're going to miss out on something to come. If they are well-fed right now, verse 25, they're going to miss out on something in the kingdom of God. If they laugh right now, they're going to miss out on something in the future. If everyone speaks well of them and no one insults them right now, they're going to miss out on something in God's kingdom to come. So there's a lot of now and not yet. And did you notice just before that, there's a lot of action. There's a lot of stuff happening. Look at verse 17. That's the setting for our blessings and woes to come. There's a lot happening. Verse 17, there's a large crowd there. People from all over the place. Verse 18, there's lots of healings and, you know, spirits being cast out. And in the final verse in that section, verse 19, Jesus is healing them all. It's awesome. It's amazing. But even as we begin to speak about this passage... Can you envision? Can you think with me that in an environment like this, where you know, Bob is looking over here and seeing his uncle, who could never walk, walking again, and then little Janet over there is just looking at, you know, her grandma, who was demon-possessed, and now she isn't anymore. And all of this stuff happening in a large crowd, lots of people getting healed. You go, man, that that Jesus, I mean, he really heals people. That is a great teacher. And Jesus says. But don't misunderstand what it's supposed to be like to follow me. It isn't just so that you come and you're healed, so that miracles are seen, but I'm gonna teach you what kind of a kingdom this is and who you should be when I bring you into my kingdom. That's why I'm gonna divide our passage into two sections tonight, and they're gonna appear on the screen. It's all about the kingdom, kingdom ambassadors. the disciples are chosen and kingdom citizens that's you and i so we're going to talk about that we're going to see how like the crowd we're in danger of missing out what jesus has come to do and to call us to if we just look at the immediate needs we need to think about the future and what he has for his people as well so let's start like this i'm going to show you some sports okay right now and if you are in my sas class class two then you already know what these sports are. But here is the first one. Have I got the clicker in here? I do. Here we go. There are two men. If you look closely enough, they are well oiled. What's the sport? Grab your little mini whiteboard, write on it, and raise it up high, okay? Very quickly. What do we got? It is a national sport, I understand, in Turkey. What's that? Boxing. Boxing. Oh no, there's a lot more contact than that. (laughs) I mean, if you look, again, closely enough, this guy is so oiled, his hand slid into the other guy's pants. It's too much for me, I can't handle it. Oh, we got it here. But he wrote oil wrestling. That is correct. That is correct, oil wrestling. Here's the next one for you. National Championship in Australia. Yes, I'm not even gonna wait for you to write. Sheep shearing, right? Which is highly entertaining to watch. Please look it up on YouTube. Final one here. Here is a man carrying a woman. Yes? Wife carrying. Wife carrying. That is correct. In Finland, you may choose to participate in this sport. Uh, wife carrying, that's one of the approved positions. Um, there are other positions that are approved, including piggyback. Uh, the person that just chose that particular one. Now, here's the question that I have for you. If this was your sport, what would you look for in a teammate? What would you look for? Somebody small, exactly. That is exactly right. If this was your sport, what would you look for? Did someone say a sheep? <laughs> That's right, yes? A sheep. a sheep. yes, I mean that is true, isn't it? You do need a sheep to sit in this sport. If this was your sport? <laughs> someone, yes, someone who is very comfortable with lots of oil, <laughs> right? You could say that. Um, now when we think about how God chooses, not, just, not teammates, but people to be his ambassadors, his representatives, the representatives of his kingdom. Here's what I find amazing. You and I immediately looked at what was necessary in those pictures, in those sports, and we said, I want people who... When we look at the disciples, the apostles, we go, what are you doing? (laughs) What are you doing, Jesus? You might as well choose (laughs) Tiago. What is happening? And we don't have time to look at all of them, but just imagine here for a second, these kingdom ambassadors, who have we got? We got somebody called Simon Peter. He already initiates this thought in our mind, that is a mixed bag, right? Because people often use Simon Peter as a textbook example of why we can trust the Gospels. Why? Because of the criterion of embarrassment. If you're going to make some stuff up, don't put someone who will embarrass you as much as Peter. How did he embarrass Jesus? Well, he gets one thing right, Jesus, you're the Messiah. A minute later, he gets something so wrong, Jesus says, you were aligning your whole life with Satan. And he calls Peter Satan. I'm like, that is, I mean, would you pick somebody like that, that you knew was going to do that? Would you pick somebody who was going to pretend he didn't even know you when the time came to stick up, stick his neck out? Hardly discipleship material. And then you, you scroll down, you know, on your phone Bibles, and you've got James and John. The Boanerges, the sons of thunder. Look at Luke chapter 9, verse 54. Go there with me. They visit Samaria. And then they come out with this beautiful gem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy these people? I mean, guys, you don't even need to know the context of what's going on there to think, is that discipleship material? Like, Jesus, can I just like do a Thanos and then just wipe out these? No, no, that is not discipleship material. You scroll down again and you've got Matthew, Levi, a tax collector. We talked about that a few weeks ago. A traitor working for the enemy. You carry on, Simon the Zealot. One alternate translation even says, one way to look at this guy is, it was probably Simon the hothead. Simon, who is willing to take up arms, get a couple of swords, and you know, bash a few Roman soldiers around. Is that, is that who you want on your team? And then, just, just to top it off, verse 16, who's the last person there? Judas. Does it get any worse than choosing someone who will actually betray you to your death? Is there anything at all that you and I can think of that unites all of these people that would make Jesus go, well, at least they've got this going for them? I, I can't think of anything. Apart from this, look at what Jesus did. Look at verse 12. Before Jesus chooses his kingdom ambassadors, he went out to a mountainside to pray. And he spent the night praying to God. Jesus pulled an all-nighter for this task. Communing, enjoying the presence of his father. This isn't a rushed decision. He actually wanted these people. So all I can say to you is, this mixed bag of disciples shows that Jesus' choice for kingdom ambassadors isn't about anything impressive in them. It isn't about any special skills or knowledge that unite the group. It is about the gracious, loving, choosing heart of God. And now here's the question for you. If this is who Jesus picked, how does this encourage you? These are the guys Jesus picked. How does that encourage you? And were the 12 disciples different to Christians today? Have a shot at that. One minute for you. Chat with the person next to you if you want to. Do it. One minute. 30 seconds. Five seconds. Now, here's how I'm massively encouraged. The kingdom... That Jesus is the King of doesn't revolve around human beings that have special skills. It doesn't revolve around me, a super assistant pastor, whatever. It revolves around Him. How graciously we see in Jesus choosing of His ambassadors that we see His heart, that we see how wonderful, loving, majestic He is. Keep that in your mind when you think Kingdom ambassadors, the apostles. They are different to us. They were the very first people that had the responsibility to proclaim the gospel to the nations, to Jews and Gentiles. They were the people that were there from John's baptism, as it says in Acts chapter 1, verses 22 and onwards, onwards, all the way to the resurrection of Jesus. They had a special responsibility. And we looked at them to see the heart of God for his kingdom. Now we ask, who are these kingdom citizens? that we're supposed to also be like if we belong to Jesus. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about kingdom citizens. Now, what do you think makes a good citizen? I'm not a citizen, by the way. I have indefinite leave to remain. I have the right to abide here. I suppose I'm a citizen in the sense that I abide in this country. But do you think I'm a good one? I don't know. You might think I haven't broken any laws that you know of, um, you know, my DBS checks always come out clean. It's no problem. And you might think that what makes a good citizen is someone who abides by the rules. We got to know what the rules are. Just two weeks ago, for the first time, I tried playing badminton. And I chose the best of our young people to teach me how to do it. Absolutely fantastic. Okay, yeah, the best of our young people, you know? Um, and what did they have to tell me? They had to tell me, Okay, what the lines on the ground are. I'd looked up on YouTube how to hold the racket so that I wouldn't be a complete fool. Apparently there are at least three grips, depending on what you're aiming to do with it. Very interesting. How to serve and what area you're If I want to be in the court, i got to know the rules. If I want to be a citizen, I have to know what's expected, what my privileges are, what my responsibilities are. If I want to be a kingdom citizen, I want to know, if I want to be a follower of Jesus, what does it mean to be a citizen of his kingdom? This next section is going to teach us what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what kind of people he is helping his citizens of his kingdom to become. This is kind of like a what to expect. And some people have cheesily, maybe, called the Beatitudes the be attitudes no, that you didn't get that? That's, that's probably when you were a child, isn't it, Andy? Yeah, that's probably what people say, isn't it? The attitudes of how you should be. Ignore that. But look at this. How beautiful. George Clayson, when he was preaching a few weeks ago, introduced us to this idea of a chiasm. Let's go back to that idea for a second and instead talk about a parallelism. We have here, if you like poetry, look how beautiful this is, right? You look at verse 20, and everything that's in verses 20 to 22 to 23 is mirrored, it's parallel, in verses 24 to 26. So you've got, you can look at your Bibles as I say this, and you can kind of verify for yourself. You've got poor, rich. You've got hungry and well-fed. You've got weeping and laughing. And you've got insulted, hated, and reputable. This sounds like a bit of a covenant or a contract. If you know anything about the ancient Near East, then you know that this is something that ancient kings did with a vassal people. But if you know a little bit about your Torah, the first five books of the law, then you know, if you go with me, to Deuteronomy chapter 28, there's something similar there that God does with his people. And this is the same God. Look at verse 28 for a second. In this key chapter... God says, hey, you are my people. This is what's what's entailed in being my people. Deuteronomy 28, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands that I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord. And yet, in verse 15 of the same chapter, however, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not Carefully follow all his commandments and decrees I'm giving you today. All these curses will come on you and overtake you. And it's beautiful that Jesus follows this format to say, here are blessings. If you're a part of the kingdom, this is you. These are your privileges. You you get to know God in this way, this hope, this certainty for the future. But if you're outside the kingdom, here are some curses. Here are some woes. Here are some things that you want to really seriously consider And repent. So, as we think about this, with the person next to you, if you want to, have a guess. Have a stab at this. What does it mean for God's kingdom citizens to be poor, hungry, sorrowful, insulted? What does it mean? Just very quickly, try and do it in a sentence or two. Go for it. One minute. 30 seconds. Five seconds. Now do me a favor, as we talk about these, keep a finger in Matthew chapter 5, where we find probably Jesus preaching the same sermon elsewhere, the Sermon on the Mount. We, I, don't, I couldn't tell you 100% uh, whether this is just another version of a sermon that Jesus has preached, but I can tell you this, Andy has a lot of sermons that he's able to microwave very quickly and reheat. Probably so did Jesus. Because as someone else has pointed out, repetition is really, really helpful for our learning. So let's talk about these things. As we think about them, poor, hungry, weeping, hated, think about this for a second. When you're in school, if you hang out with the unpopular kid, what do you become? Yeah, that's right. And some of you young people here tonight might be thinking, That's me. (laughs) And you know, if you hang out with the smelly kid, well, even if you're not smelly, it's contagious, isn't it, in the sight of others. Your reputation sort of goes down a little bit as well. Now, what we see here in some of these Beatitudes is, if you associate with Jesus, if you hang out with Jesus, if you belong to Jesus, if you're a citizen of his kingdom, you get the same responses as Jesus did. Some were positive, sure, but most of them were negative. So all of these show that being a citizen of Jesus' kingdom has a cost. Let's talk about the first. Kingdom citizens are poor. Let's read that again. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Let's read the counterpart in verse 24. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Are you poor? Do you consider yourself poor? Or rich? Maybe. You and I run the risk when we read something like this, of thinking, this is to do with money, right? So like, you know, I come from an a ex-Catholic country, where for some reason, it goes together with my Catholicism, to think that being poor is the same as being holy or in a good place because it's like you're really not running after the riches of this world and that kind of thing. I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about here. I'm going to tell you why. When I put all of the things Jesus says together, they are describing what happens to someone who is putting God first and loving him That's why when you go to Matthew chapter 5, which you have your finger on, because you were listening a minute ago, look at verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That means, yes, someone may be literally financially poor that Jesus is talking to. This is about more. This is about more than people who are not working hard enough or don't have the skills to find a good job. This is about people who recognize that they need God because they are poor. Their lack opens their eyes for them to see, man, I really don't have everything that I need. I must run to God. But I think on the flip side as well, if you are someone who belongs to the kingdom of God, throughout the Old Testament, and we said this a few weeks ago as well, God's people, they do suffer. They do suffer lack. And they are poor in many respects because they are following God. But here, poverty can open our eyes to our need to God. Whereas what happens with the rich? Look at them. Woe to you who are rich. Why? They've received their comfort. That means their riches are all about trying to put their need for security, for comfort, for joy, for happiness in what they own. Can you see how the two kind of go together, how Jesus is putting the two together? He's saying, either you are someone who puts all of your comfort, your desires, everything placed on me, or you're someone who puts all of those needs on what you own in your riches. The problem is, only one of those would last. That's why Jesus says, if you're rich and if you're trusting for your happiness and your joy, something that other than me, you better enjoy it while you have it now. Because in the kingdom come, you won't have it. Is it possible, even, that these things would deliver? Like let's say you did have a lot of money, like a load. I mean, you just couldn't, you didn't know what to do with it. Would it deliver? The comfort, the hope, the joy, wouldn't for long. If you've been following the um, Amber Heard and Johnny Depp lawsuit, for example, online, you go, man, these people have millions of dollars. And yet here we are, so much unhappiness and acrimony. Here's a better question. If you are a Christian and you belong to Jesus, can your lack of whatever it is be an opportunity for you to depend on God? Yes, it can. Yes, it can. And I pray that as we finish this first section here, you would be someone who would say, do you know what, Tiago? Yeah, I am poor because when I look at my sin, when I look at my brokenness, I need the God who is rich. I need the God who became poor so that I could be rich in Him. Is that you? Have you depended on Jesus for your salvation, for joy? If not, run to Him. Because I'll tell you this, You're going to find out if you're spiritually poor or not when people treat like you are. I remember a Bible college saying this, uh, a Bible college teacher uh, saying this to me. You might think you're humble, but when people treat you like you're humble, either you're going to be offended (laughs) and you're going to go, no, no, don't treat me like this, I'm not here. Or you're going to go, ah, you've just reminded me, I'm poor, I need Jesus. But kingdom citizens are not only poor, they are hungry. And not well fed. Look at it. Blessed are you who hunger now. Verse 21. For you will be satisfied. And then look at verse 25. Woe to you who are well fed now. For you will go hungry. Here's a common theme in our church families. Our church families who have teenagers. Our church families who have male teenagers. Here is a struggle that they face, I understand they are never full. They are never not hungry. I remember Andy telling me that no sooner does he fill the cupboard than Nathan and Josiah empty it. I remember Jess telling me, no sooner are there chicken breasts in the fridge than Andrew will have eaten them two by two. Two by two? Perhaps even three in one go. I visited their home last week, and one of the teenagers is just simply eating a tin of tuna. Just by the tin, just like that. Those cost over a pound, by the way. I'm just saying, the Yorkshireman man in me. Imagine if that was the reality with other things in life. These teenagers are always hungry. They are never full. I mean, that, that is something that constantly weighs on their minds, right? They need to eat. They're constantly, are you thinking right now, I'm hungry, when will I eat? You know, maybe you are thinking that right now. Here is why this is powerful, powerful metaphor Jesus is using to explain what living in his kingdom is like. When Jesus is speaking, people actually died of hunger. Some of the people in the crowd were actually scared that they wouldn't have enough to eat that day, that week no welfare system. Imagine saying to those people, there is a hunger that you have that only God will be able to satisfy. Imagine now, when you read in Matthew chapter 5, and Jesus says, you hunger and thirst for righteousness, for justice, for the justice of God. Imagine being hungry like a teenager for the justice of God in the world. Not enough justice. There's not enough honesty. You think about the effects of injustice in the lives of other people, modern-day slavery, whether it's racism, whether it's um, economic inequality because of corruption, because of bribes impacting on the lives of other people. You look at it and you go, Jesus, please come back. I long to see your kingdom coming and you putting everything right and for everyone to belong to you. here is why you long for that and here is why if you're a part of the kingdom you work for justice because the biggest injustice has already been dealt with at the cross. If you're someone who is spiritually poor you know the depths of your sin if you hunger for justice you see justice at the cross. You see Jesus dying in your place and you become one of two people. You want to spread justice His justice in the world. I want to say, hey, you need to know that your sins are only dealt with at the cross or you become one of the people who in verse 25, you're well fed because you don't hunger for the justice of God. You're unaware of the needs of others. You're unaware perhaps of your own sin. So kingdom citizens are hungry. Are you hungry for the justice of God? Or are you someone who If you're not spiritually poor, you don't see your need for God. You're also not hungry because you're only hungry for yourself and your own needs. You haven't met the God of the Bible. Is that you? Move swiftly on. Kingdom citizens are sorrowful. They're not laughing. That's a weird metaphor. Now, my previous boss, Tim Gunn, who is retiring next month, um, used to say, I think he stole this from someone else because that's, you know, preachers, they nick it from other people. Um, and he would say three good questions to get to know somebody. I may have mentioned this to you before. He would say, what gets you up? What gets you down? What gets you through? I'm like, wow, those are the three questions that would really get the gospel in any conversation, wouldn't they? What gets you up? What gets you out of bed? What motivates you? What do you live for? What gets you down? What is it that just breaks your heart? Makes, you, makes tears roll down your eyes, down your face? what is it that gets you through? Focus on that middle question. What gets you down? What gets people down in the New Testament? Because that will help us understand why Jesus is saying that you are blessed if you weep. What is it that we could cry about, feel sorrowful about, that would actually be a blessing to us, that would bring us closer to an intimate relationship with God? Because the word blessing has this sense of shalom, of wholeness, of things put right again with God. Let me give you two things. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm going to say that being sad, weeping, being sorrowful over our sin is one of them that blesses us. That being sad and sorrowful because we have a zeal for God's honor is another thing. Our sin and God's honor. Let's talk about that. Read that with me from verse 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, verse 8, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, Paul says, I see that my letter hurt you. Paul said some things that hurt them. Look at verse 9. Yet Now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended and and so were not harmed in any way by us. Look at verse 11. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. So you can look at your sin, be sad, weep, because you see how much it hurts God, because you see how far away you are from the Jesus you claim to follow. I I do. I feel sorrowful. I feel sad when I look at just how far away I am in my sanctification process. And yet, Paul says, if it brings you to repentance, to run into God's arms, You are blessed. You are blessed because you see that your reliance on God produces fruit and you are changed. But also we are saddened when we see, when we have a zeal for God's honor. When we see God's name dragged through the mud, when we see people mischaracterizing, misrepresenting God, talking about God like he is, a killjoy like he is, someone who pushes sexual repression on people. We go, no, that is not the God. Of the Bible. Let me tell you about him. It pains me to hear it like that. So let me ask you this. Here's the danger in verse 25. There are people who live their lives, here's a metaphor, laughing all the way. And if that's the case, they're going to mourn in the kingdom to come. Why is that? If you weep because of your sin, the contrast is you laugh because you're unaware of it. You just don't know what you should be sorrowful about. You fail to appreciate the brokenness of the world. And that's why you fail to run to Jesus. Listen to Paul when he says this in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. 28. Let me read it to you. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Even Paul, who believed all this stuff, great man of God, yet, He could feel the pressure and perhaps be sorrowful, not only over his own sin, but over the needs of others. I'm going to suggest to you, as I believe that God has suggested to me as I was studying this, sometimes, if I'm just laughing all the way through my life, it could be because I'm blind to the needs of others or I'm blind to my own sin. I'm not saying we should be people who are depressed, but I'm saying... Jesus is saying, when you are weeping because of your sin, you will laugh in the kingdom to come because there'll be no more sin for you to weep over. That is a joy. Finish with this Kingdom citizens are hated, they are not reputable. How do you know that you're doing something right? You're baking a farmhouse loaf. How do you know you are doing it right? Anyone? Yeah? If you're following the recipe, yes, absolutely. What what should the bread be doing? Yes, absolutely. Okay, notice I said farmhouse loaf, because if I'd said some other types of bread, then they don't need to rise and so on and so forth. If you are exercising right, how might you feel? afterwards. Yeah? Yes, absolutely. You've done it right. Okay, absolutely. Um one of our teenagers um who was doing A level biology. A level biology? biology? I don't know, it's biology. Anyway, they're really good at biology. Um, and I was just saying, what is happening? I'm in absolute agony in my muscles, you know? And this person just says, Oh, you know, it's because this kind of, uh, you know, anaerobic exercise is doing this, producing lactic acid, and so I'm probably butchering it right now. But they just explained it to me. They knew what would happen if I'm exercising right. If you're wallpapering right, the wallpaper remains on the wall, <laughs> right? If you're following Jesus, right? What might happen? Verse twenty-two. People hate you. They exclude you. They might insult you, reject you. If you're not doing it right, verse 26, everyone just loves you. Everyone speaks well of you, just like with false prophets. If we are people who know we are spiritually poor, who hunger for justice, who weep over our sin, that doesn't really go together with the world that we live in. Some people will be offended or upset. If you, even if you do it right, rather than if you just unnecessarily offend people and so on. Even if you do it right, Jesus is saying, if this never happens to us, here is a question Are we truly living as kingdom citizens? No one ever questions. And I mentioned this to you before a challenge for me living in this culture. Is that I know for a fact, most people are happy for me to say, I'm a Christian, I'm a church pastor. They, most people are happy. Is what they're not happy with. I think you should also be a Christian. Not happy with that. I think I think I'm a sinner. Sure, no problem. People might even say, oh, but you're so nice. The young people love you, you know, some of them. But the moment I say, I also think that. You are hopelessly broken. All of a sudden, I'm going to be insulted. Who do you think you are? What do you think you're doing? Not me, Jesus. So as we finish this message, every time God is working in our hearts to make us spiritually poor, to hunger for righteousness, to weep over our sin, He is creating in us a holy discontent, a holy sense of, man, every time this happens, I just want the kingdom to be here. I just want it right now.